This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. As a plant-based cheese company, Dea has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant-based together. So putting a slice of Dea cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Dea, 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Dea Oat Cream Blend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of death and human sacrifice. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about the will of the wisp. Today's episode combines elements from Christianity, Norse mythology, Celtic beliefs, and English folktales to uncover the secrets of these mysterious lights. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. This is Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original, where we explore the legends behind humankind's most terrifying creations. For thousands of years, we've been using these fictitious beasts to make sense of our deepest fears. Telling their stories can help us understand where our fears come from and ultimately how they can be overcome. Today's monster is the Will o' the Wisp. Legends of these mysterious lights seem to crop up wherever there are marshes or swamps. Travelers who are foolish enough to follow them often find themselves drawn into an otherworldly place between life and death. You can always find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll dive into the history of the Will o' the Wisp after this. From the windy moors of England to the murky swamps of Louisiana, the locals speak in hushed whispers about mysterious lights that lure travelers off the beaten path. At first glance, they seem to light the way ahead, but make the mistake of following them, and you may never reach your destination. The stories of these ghostly lights can be found in cultures all over the world. In the Australian outback, they're known as the Min Min Lights. In the mangrove forests of West Bengal, they are the Alea ghost lights. In Argentina, people call them La Luz Mala, the bad light. 
These mysterious lights have as many origin stories as names. Some legends say the beacons are made by fairies. Others believe them to be the spirits of unbaptized children, forever caught between heaven and hell. Still more versions attribute the lights to corrupt land surveyors who wander about in death, perpetually measuring the land they once undervalued. In Ireland and Scotland, they have long been known by two names, jack-o'-lanterns and will-o'-the-wisps. Wisp is an archaic word referring to a small bundle of hay that could be burned for light. The wisp, or lantern, was carried by the soul of a man named Jack or Will. In life, he'd been foolish and sinful. In death, he was cursed to wander forever with only a cold blue wisp to light his way. The characters who become Will-o'-the-Wisps often share a sort of innocuous wickedness. They haven't killed anyone or committed some great evil, but are guilty of more pedestrian sins. This is reflected in the behavior of the ghost lights. They're mischievous troublemakers, and especially destructive to travelers who wrong them in some way. But they are occasionally helpful and have been known to lead travelers out of the bog instead of into it. In the British Isles, one of the more popular Will-o'-the-Wisp stories tells of a degenerate blacksmith who helps a stranger by reshoeing his horse. This simple act of kindness would change his life forever and ultimately seal his tragic fate. Bill clutched the horse's hoof between his knees. Shoeing horses was the farrier's job, but he'd been gone for the day when the old man stopped in with his sickly nag. The man had introduced himself as Peter. He had a thick head of tight gray curls and strange gray-gold eyes. Bill couldn't put his finger on it, but there was something about him that seemed familiar. He didn't have any money, but said he'd be happy to offer his labor as payment. Normally, Bill would have laughed him out of the forge, but it had been a slow day. He didn't mind doing one small task before setting off for the alehouse, so he took the horse's reins. We've no tasks here for a knock-kneed old man like yourself, said Bill as he waved the old man off. But I'll shoe your horse. Just know that I'm no farrier. I can't guarantee I won't hurt her. Peter nodded gravely and thanked Bill for his kindness. Once Bill finished the job, Peter surveyed the newly shod hoof and smiled approvingly. He climbed into the saddle with surprising agility and turned to look down at Bill. You have done a good thing today, sir and with no thought of reward. Tell me, if you could have three wishes, what would they be? Bill laughed out loud. He wasn't sure what the old man was going on about, but he supposed that foolish questions deserved foolish answers. Well now, said Bill, scratching his beard thoughtfully, first, I suppose I'd wish that my flask would never be empty. Second, that my hearth never go cold. And third, for another lifetime for drinking and gambling. Bill grinned, pleased with his answer. But Peter sighed. He turned his horse towards the road. I suppose I was mistaken, he said gravely. 
You are not a good man, Bill Smythe, but you shall have your wishes. With that, Peter gave the reins a shake and was off. Bill spat on the ground as he watched the strange old man disappear into the mist. Some people had no sense of humor. There was one thing that was strange, though. The man had known his name, and for the life of him, Bill couldn't remember having given it. After Bill shooed the old man's horse, he closed up the forge and headed to the local public house. As usual, he drank till the room was spinning before stumbling back to his home on the edge of the marsh. It was a cold, misty night, and he was shivering violently by the time he staggered in through the moldy old door. The moment he stepped into the warmth of the cottage, he knew that something was wrong. There hadn't been a fire in the hearth for more than 12 hours, but the room felt toasty as an oven. Bill knelt down beside the empty fireplace and felt the ashes. They were cold, but the hearthstone was radiating heat all on its own. Suddenly, Bill's own words came rushing back to him. He'd wished that his flask would never be empty, his hearth would never go cold, and for another lifetime for drinking and gambling. With a trembling hand, Bill pulled out his flask and uncapped it. He turned it over and liquor flowed out and kept flowing out. Bill grabbed a mug and filled it to the brim. Then he filled a pot and then a bucket. Soon he had filled every container in the hut, including his bathtub, yet the golden liquid kept coming. Bill threw back his head and howled with laughter. He thought the man looked familiar, and now he knew why. Bill hadn't been to church in years, but he could still remember the painting of an elderly man with tight gray curls and startling gray gold eyes. It was a painting of the church's patron, Bill had met St. Peter himself. Coming up, Bill's past comes back to haunt him. Hi, listeners. There's a new Spotify original from Parcast you do not want to miss. It's called Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, and it uncovers the most damning details surrounding history's most high-profile leaders. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency. From torrid love affairs and contemptible corruption to shocking cover-ups and even murder, she'll expose the personal and professional controversies you may never knew existed. You'll hear some wildly true stories about presidents such as Richard Nixon, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, JFK, and more. Very Presidential highlights the exploits you never learned in history class, but probably should have. Family drama, personal vices, dirty secrets. These presidents may have run, but they most certainly can't hide. Follow the fantastic new series, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. 
Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Bill hummed to himself as he trod over the wooden boardwalk that ran through the bog. Over a hundred years had passed since the day he'd done a favor for a strange old man named Peter. The man had granted Bill three wishes, and he'd responded with a joke. He'd asked for a flask that was never empty, a hearth that was never cold, and for a second lifetime. Bill never could have guessed that the man was St. Peter himself— or that his wishes would come true. The next morning, Bill had woken up with the worst hangover of his life and a feeling of overwhelming regret. St. Peter had said that Bill was not a good man, and he'd been right. Bill cursed and drank incessantly, he cheated at cards, and he'd never been faithful to a woman. Changing the horse's shoe was the first generous thing he'd done in as long as he could remember. No, Bill was not a good man, but maybe it wasn't too late to change. The saint had promised him a second life, and he'd be damned if he was going to let it go to waste. As soon as it was light enough, he had set off for the peatlands. When he'd reached his allotment, Bill began cutting out square slabs of the dark earth and setting them in the sun to dry. The next day, he brought them to the old chamber's widow, and she burst into tears. Since his hearth would never be cold again, he had no more use for peat. Before long, he was bringing back enough fuel to heat half the houses in town, and though the labor was hard, he found he didn't mind. He stopped drinking and gambling. He even started letting people underpay him for his work at the forge. He told the poorer families that they were free to pay only as much as they could afford. As the years passed, Bill seemed to age more slowly than those around him. Whenever anyone mentioned his youthful appearance, Bill would just smile and say that it was thanks to all the time he spent in the cool, wet air of the bog. Bill crested the top of the hill and looked out over the vast wetlands spread out around him. Mounds of moss covered the land as far as the eye could see. Speckled between them were glassy pools, reflecting the brilliant orange of the setting sun. As Bill gazed out over the marsh, he noticed something strange. There was a bridge over the ravine up ahead and a fork in the trail. This in itself wasn't unusual. The trail ran for miles through the bog. It curved and forked and doubled back on itself plenty of times. But Bill knew these marshes like the back of his hand, and he was sure that there had never been a bridge or fork here before. For a moment, Bill just stood there, scratching his head in utter bewilderment. Maybe his memory was playing tricks on him? He supposed a man of 140 couldn't be trusted to recollect everything perfectly. 
Perhaps someone had rebuilt the trail and he'd forgotten it. Bill decided to take the path leading east. His town lay in that direction, so the path had to take him home eventually. As Bill walked on, the land started looking less and less familiar. The sun set and a full moon rose in its place. Eventually, a shape emerged in the distance. It was a long line across the horizon. As he drew closer, Bill saw that it was a high wall of gray stone, covered in moss and intricate, ancient-looking ruins. There was a gate where the walkway met the wall. It was nothing elaborate, just a pair of curved double doors set into the stone. Standing in front of them was an older man with a trim beard and startling gray-gold eyes. It's nice to see you again, Bill Smythe, said St. Peter. I gave you everything you asked for, drink, a warm hearth, and a second life. But I'm afraid that it has now come to an end. Bill stared at the man in shock. I'm dead then? He asked. St. Peter nodded. Your body will remain in the bog where you stopped to rest, but do not grieve too much. All good things must come to an end. Bill knelt in front of the priest and bowed his head. You told me long ago that I was not a good man. Since then, I've tried every day to be better. St. Peter smiled ruefully. So you have, and had this been your only life, I would welcome you through these gates without delay. But the man you were is within you still. It is he that bars you from this place. Bill looked up at St. Peter in shock. Tears of anger welled in his eyes. It wasn't fair that he should be judged on who he'd been. Why did any of that matter as long as he'd changed? Please, sir, Bill stammered. If you can't let me in, give me another life. One more chance to wipe out my misdeeds. You've had more than most get already, said the saint firmly. Now you'd best be on your way. Bill tried to take deep breaths, but when he looked at the smug old man in front of him, he was seized by a sudden, violent rage. He gave a great cry of fury and leaped at St. Peter. In an instant, the wall and the saint disappeared. Bill collapsed onto the sodden ground and began to sob. Bogs and marshes are liminal places of earth and water. The springy quality of the waterlogged soil imparts the sensation that you're walking on ground that is not quite real. There are carnivorous plants that feed on small invertebrates. Mudslide-type events called bog bursts can bury you in a 10-foot wave of liquid peat. At any moment, an incautious traveler could step into standing water concealed by a thin layer of debris and be swallowed up by the dense wetlands. Despite their danger, these places played a huge role in the lives of the early Europeans. Bogs are full of peat, soil-like deposits of partially decayed vegetation. 
the density of organic matter made dried peat an excellent fuel source. It was especially useful in certain areas of northern England and Scotland, where woodlands were limited and timber was a valuable commodity. Because the soil of peat bogs contains little oxygen and remains cool throughout the year, it also makes a great preservative. Iron Age Europeans used the bogs to store butter and render animal fat. The marshes also took on an aspect of spiritual significance. Over the years, hundreds of bodies have been discovered in bogs across Europe. In some cases, they've been perfectly preserved by acids and enzymes released by the decaying peat moss. Archaeologists speculate that these bodies may have been sacrifices to a fertility goddess. Ancient Celtic groups may have seen the bogs as portals to the afterlife, so they would be the natural place to hold such a ritual. Norse peoples also seem to have associated marshes with death and the afterlife. Elaborate burials have been found in Icelandic bogs. The Norse goddess of the underworld rules over a cold wasteland, not dissimilar to a marsh. Her name is Hel, and like the bog bodies themselves, she is sometimes seen as a bizarrely preserved symbol of death. In some more recent descriptions, one side of her body is a beautiful woman, while the other is a rotting corpse. The cold, mist-covered Scandinavian wetlands also might have served as inspiration for portions of the Norse Road of the Dead, the path that souls would walk on the way to the underworld. For early Europeans, getting lost in a marsh could have had severe physical and spiritual consequences. When you walk on the border between this world and the next, it's not just your life that's at stake. A single wrong step can take you to a place far worse than an earthly marsh. Bill sat in the mud for a long time. The moon passed behind a cloud and a dense fog rolled in. The night grew dark and chilly. When Bill began to shiver from the cold, he decided enough was enough. He stood up and brushed the damp earth from his clothes. He couldn't spend the rest of eternity in this freezing marsh. He was going home. After what felt like hours of walking, Bill found his way back to the bridge. As he reached the center, he stopped. He'd hoped to retrace his path back through the bog to his village, but the road he'd taken before had completely vanished. All that remained was the road heading west. What was even stranger was the faint blue light at the other end of the bridge. It bobbed around almost as if it was a lantern. Bill called out, thinking it might be a traveler, but there was no response. Bill stared at the light, feeling strangely mesmerized. If he could catch up to it, maybe whoever was carrying it could tell him how to get out of the bog. So he hurried after it, taking the road west. As he walked, the light moved further away from him, bobbing eerily in the mist. The trail gradually grew less clear. The wooden boards were replaced by logs, and then sticks, and then nothing at all. Bill began to wonder if he'd made a mistake, but he felt as if the light was encouraging him to go on. It was almost like it wanted to be followed. 
The further Bill went, the colder it got. Craggy boulders and long, flat fields of dead grasses replaced the banks of soft green moss. Finally, a shape emerged from the fog. It was a pair of upright stones with a great flat boulder laying atop them to form an archway. Bill walked up to the archway and peered through it. He could see a wide black river crowded with ice flows, but when he looked behind the stones, all he could see was the same endless foggy marsh. Bill stared fearfully at the doorway. It was clearly a portal to another world, though what world, he couldn't be sure. Still, Bill felt as if he'd been wandering in the marsh for years. Whatever lay beyond had to be better than an eternity of stumbling around in the cold fog. Maybe it would even be warm. Bill shut his eyes, bracing himself for whatever was on the other side. Then he stepped forward through the archway. He opened his eyes and looked around. He was still standing in the bog. There was no sign of the river or the rest of the landscape he had seen through the portal. Perplexed, Bill walked back around the stones. He peered through the archway and saw the river again. Once more, he tried stepping through it, only to arrive on the opposite side of the stones in the same dingy marsh. As Bill circled around to try a third time, he almost jumped with fright. A figure had appeared in the icy landscape on the other side of the portal. The figure was dressed in a hooded cloak and held a ball of blue flames in one hand. And they were making their way toward him. Bill stepped backward in fright as the figure stepped through the archway. As they lowered their hood, Bill let out a gasp of shock and horror. It was a tall, slender woman. Catching a glimpse of her face, he shrank back in revulsion. She had the rotting flesh and bone of a corpse. Hello, Bill Smythe, said the woman in a rasping voice. I've been expecting you. When we return, Bill faces the devil herself. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now back to the story. Bill stared in horror at the woman in front of him. He'd been denied entrance to heaven, and now he'd come face to face with what he could only imagine was the devil herself. While the expression on her face was the ordinary scowl of a human woman, a closer look revealed the decaying flesh of a corpse. Bill looked from the woman to the archway behind her, eyes wide with fear. This... This is hell, isn't it? 
And you're the devil? The woman rolled her eyes. It certainly isn't heaven, she said. Now, would you please go away? I think we've made it clear that you can't come in. The gate makes a very unpleasant noise every time you try to pass through. He frowned. What do you mean I can't come in? You just said you're expecting me. The woman sighed in exasperation. Yes, we were expecting you for many years, but you've lived two lives, Bill Smythe. If you'd just done the first one, we'd be happy to have you, but you've spent the past hundred years doing selfless deeds for other people. We can't have that sort of thing in here. Now, wait just a minute, Bill stammered, suddenly feeling very irritated. I've already been to St. Peter, and he said I wasn't allowed in there. I didn't want to go to hell, but you can't both turn me away. Just where am I supposed to go? The woman simply laughed. It's no business of mine what you do with your time, she said, turning back to the archway. Bill flashed with anger. He couldn't believe that she was just leaving him here. It was insulting. So he shouted, Well then, if you won't help me, I guess I'll just have to spend eternity walking through this door. The woman raised one eyebrow, but Bill stood his ground. He was not going to go back to wandering around the marsh. Finally, she gave an exasperated sigh and waved her hand over the blue orb of light she was holding. The flame extinguished in an instant, shrinking down into a glowing piece of coal. I truly cannot let you into hell, Bill Smythe, but perhaps with the light from this ember, you'll be able to find your way back to the earthly realm. For a moment, Bill gaped open-mouthed at the coal, hypnotized by its strange blue glow. He looked up to ask the woman how this would help him find the human world or what he was supposed to do when he got there, but she was already gone. Bill turned away from the door. He waved his hand over the piece of coal, and it bloomed to life once more. So he held it up before him and walked forward into the mist. Plenty of frightening legends emerged from the swamps and marshes of Iron Age Europe. There were tales of bog witches, strange plants, and dead men who walked in the night. But few of these stories were as ubiquitous as the -the will-o'-the-wisp eventually became. There was a simple explanation for how widespread the tales of these ghost lights became. There's a very real, very dangerous phenomenon that inspired the -the will-o'-the-wisp. People have been trying to explain the mysterious lights that appear above bogs for centuries. Though today, most people reject the old supernatural explanations, the surplus of documented sightings makes it impossible to deny that the phenomenon is real. Over the years, scientists have put forth a number of theories to explain the lights. Some suggested that they might be bioluminescent mushrooms or moonlight reflecting off the wings of owls. But none of these early hypotheses could explain the strange behavior of the lights. The beacons seemed to move away from any observers who approached, always dancing just out of the reach of those who sought to understand them. 
Today, scientists believe the lights are caused by methane and a type of highly flammable toxic gas called phosphine. These gases are released by the breakdown of organic matter, and when they mix together, along with other chemicals in the bog, the resulting combustion has been known to create a blue or green flame. Some scientists hypothesized that an observer walking toward the burning gases could fan them away, thus creating the appearance that the flame is moving of its own accord. Though we now understand at least one possible scientific explanation behind these lights, for thousands of years the phenomenon was a true mystery. Believing that the lights were fairies or wicked spirits made about as much sense as anything else. And in the strange and otherworldly environment of a bog, belief in the supernatural will always be close at hand. Mary giggled as she skipped down the cobblestone path. An orb of blue light bobbled up ahead of her, just out of reach. She'd been catching fireflies in the yard when she'd spotted it floating at the edge of the marsh. It was difficult to see through the evening fog, but Mary thought that she could just make out the figure of a man cupping the light in his hands. She called out to him and heard the muffled sound of laughter in return. Her father had warned her not to go into the bog at night, but Mary felt as though the light was calling to her. Without thinking about what she was doing, Mary unlatched the gate. As she stepped through it, the light began to move toward the marsh. Mary followed after it, but the light kept moving away from her. It was like a game. Mary took a step forward, and the person holding the light took a step back. Mary tried skipping and then running, but somehow she could never seem to catch up to the light. As Mary reached a narrow wooden bridge, she slowed to a stop. She didn't recognize the bridge at all, and it suddenly dawned on her just how deep she'd gone into the marsh. She looked around to try to get her bearings, but saw nothing familiar. When she looked ahead again, the blue light was gone, having disappeared into the fog. Hello? Mary called out in a trembling voice. Is anyone there? I think, I think I might be lost. There was no response. Mary stood at the foot of the bridge for a long moment, peering into the fog. Then she saw it. The blue light had come back into view, bobbing in the mist up ahead. Mary gasped in relief. Whoever was holding it must have heard her and come back to help. She stepped forward onto the bridge. Mary shrieked as the rotten wood of the bridge gave way beneath her feet. She tumbled down into the gully below, scraping her arm on the boards before crashing down into the muck. Mary tried to push herself up, but the thick, watery sludge pressed in around her, dragging her downwards. She kicked her feet and clawed at the denser clumps of peat, desperate for anything firm to right herself, but her flailing only made it worse. Mary let out a last scream before her head sank below the mire. A few small bubbles broke the surface, and then... Silence. 
Mary, dinner's ready. Martin called his daughter for the third time as he ladled the hot soup into two bowls. When he got no response, he wiped his hands on a towel and crossed to the back door. Just a few minutes earlier, Mary had been happily playing in the yard. Martin had looked out the kitchen window and seen her chasing fireflies. He'd stepped away for a moment to check on dinner, but as he stepped outside now, there was no sign of her. Mary was gone, and the gate stood ajar. Martin dropped the ladle and raced down the path into the bog. He shouted her name over and over until his voice was hoarse. The dense fog and damp earth seemed to absorb all sound. In daytime, the marsh was filled with the hum of insects and the chirp of birds. But now, an eerie silence had fallen over the place. The only thing he could hear was the pounding of his own footsteps. Suddenly, Martin heard the sound of laughter up ahead. He picked up speed, though his lungs felt close to bursting. The path was quickly becoming less solid, wooden boards giving way to twigs and sticks. And then he saw her. Mary was walking toward him, covered from head to toe in mud. When she saw Martin, she started running too. The father fell to his knees and threw his arms around his daughter. You're all right, Martin gasped in relief. What on earth happened to you? I fell off the bridge, Mary said, looking a bit guilty. But the nice man helped me out and showed me the way back. Nice man? said Martin in surprise. He looked around but saw nothing besides the bog and the mist. Well, thank goodness for him. Come on, Mary, let's get you cleaned up. Martin stood and took his daughter's hand, leading her toward the house. He didn't notice Mary turn and wave goodbye at something behind them. Further up the path, a flickering orb of blue light floated in the air, like a lantern with no one holding it. It bobbed slightly, almost as if to wave back. Then it drifted deeper into the bog, disappearing into the mist. The legend of Bill the Blacksmith is the culmination of thousands of years of cultural change. Ancient Celts saw bogs as places of spiritual significance. The importance they placed on these mysterious wetlands was combined with Christian doctrine in the legend of the Will o' the Wisp. The resulting story was one that honored the numinous power of the bog without offending devout Christian converts. It's a story about the Celtic otherworld, cloaked in the language of Christianity. It lacks the straightforward moral narrative of most Christian tales. Instead, what we see is a much more ambiguous lesson. The Latin name for the lights that appear above marshes is ignis fatuus, a phrase that translates to foolish fire. The title is appropriate in more ways than one. The light is a false beacon of hope. It's an illusion of safety. Falling for its mischief will only lead you deeper into danger. So, those who follow the lights are foolish, but the lights themselves are fools as well. 
Sometimes they're foolish fairies bent on wreaking havoc and mischief. Other times they're the spirits of people who made foolish choices and mistakes. These actions have gotten them lost between worlds, trapped in a land of foggy darkness. For as much trouble as they cause, the will of the wisp are neither good nor evil. Every once in a while, they take a liking to an odd traveler and show them the way out of trouble rather than into it. Even so, you'd be a fool to follow them. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Will-o'-the-Wisps, amongst the many sources we used, we found Shropshire Folklore, A Sheaf of Gleanings, Volume 1, by Georgina Frederica Jackson, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Zoe Luisa Lewis, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. It's the most powerful position in American politics, and arguably the world. But behind the oath to preserve, protect, and defend lie dark secrets posed to leave some legacies in disgrace. Don't forget to check out the new Spotify original from Parcast, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency, exposing wildly true stories about history's most high-profile leaders. To hear more, follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.